Section 1 of Constructive Conscious Control of the Individual This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Constructive Conscious Control of the Individual by F. Matthias Alexander Preface The demand for this book has been an insistent one for some time past, particularly from the American readers of Man's Supreme Inheritance, and, out of gratitude, I have a keen desire to make a contribution to our knowledge worthy of the written encouragement I have received from a large circle of readers, from the press, and from scientific men in Australia, England, and America. This mass of correspondence is of the greatest interest and value to me, for every letter contains a request for further enlightenment on some particular point or points of special interest to the writer of the letter. Of course, it is quite impossible to answer all these queries in this volume, but whenever possible I shall give practical illustrations to show in a general way the fundamental principle or principles which are involved in these queries, in the hope that these illustrations will help my correspondents to a better understanding of the practical side of their problems. I have sufficient matter for several volumes, and in making my selections I have been influenced by the relative importance of this matter to each portion of my subject. It may therefore be a source of satisfaction to any reader who may be disappointed in this respect to know that I have given due consideration to this essential part of my work. In Man's Supreme Inheritance I have set down my thesis, together with practical procedures and illustrations, and, if I may judge from the correspondence received from readers, the way has thus been cleared for a new outlook and to the desire for a better understanding of the means whereby life may be lived sanely in the environment of twentieth-century experiences and rapid changes. In this book I am most anxious to answer such oft-repeated questions as Why are our instincts less reliable than those of our early ancestors? At what stage of man's evolution did this deterioration begin? What is the cause of our present-day individual and national unrest? Can you set down principles which will enable us to decide as to the best methods of educating our children? Evidently, your conception of conscious control, coordination, and re-education differs from the usual conception. If so, will you explain the difference in your next book? I am of opinion that if I succeed in answering these questions, I shall have made a distinct step forward in helping to clear away, once and for all, the doubts of any person who, in the midst of worldwide unrest and dissatisfaction, is seeking honestly for truth amidst a mass of methods, systems, cures, and treatments in what are called physical, mental, and spiritual spheres. In this connection, it is important to note that the enthusiasts for these different methods point to excellent specific results, that is, according to their idea or conception of results, in support of their contentions and beliefs. But the fact remains that in spite of all these results associated with human efforts during the past 500 years in all spheres of remedial and curative activity, 
the standard of sensory appreciation, of general coordination, and of reliable use of the mechanisms of the organism has been, and still is, being gradually lowered, with associated serious conditions which are apparent today on every hand. I intend to deal with a wide range of more or less generally accepted statements and principles laid down by experts in these spheres, in an attempt to show my readers how they may arrive at a definite and reliable decision as to which method, system, or cure may prove satisfactory. To a certain point, I am in sympathy with all workers in either physical, mental, or spiritual spheres, for I believe that, quote, there are more things in heaven and earth than are dreamt of in our philosophy, end quote. But it has always seemed to me that the first duty of man was and is to understand and develop those potentialities which are well within the sphere of his activities here on this earth. For this reason, I intend in this volume to adhere to my earlier scheme of practical illustration, endeavoring as far as possible to give a demonstrable illustration in connection with statements and arguments. This formula, I venture to predict, will prove to be more and more the rule and not the exception as we progress towards a plane of constructive, conscious guidance and control. It has two advantages over other formulas. In the first place, it forces the philosopher or teacher to give to the world practical procedures which may be applied to the actual activities of life, instead of theoretical conclusions which too often have no practical bearing upon life. In the second place, and this is all important, it transfers his work from the doubtful field of individual or collective opinion to the more reliable field of demonstrable conclusion, inasmuch as he is in duty bound to devote years of labor and investigation to the valuable but difficult process of converting to practical use each and every original idea, opinion. This is a process of years, but if at the end of each experiment he gives to the world only those ideas which he has succeeded in reducing to practical procedures, rejecting all others, he will be making a great contribution to humanity. He will be offering practical experiences in a field where for centuries we have too often been offered little but personal opinions. As the thesis of man's supreme inheritance is unfolded volume by volume, it will be found that it covers ground that has been smoothed or roughened, as the case may be, by the numberless combats among adherents of the various theories which tend in practical application towards the separation instead of the unity of human potentialities. And that, on the constructive side, it provides principles which are fundamental to that condition of unity which we all agree should be inseparable from the processes of living. The subject matter of this book represents an endeavor to show that the great problems involved in the present condition of individual and national unrest demand for their solution a recognition not only of their unity, but also of the unity of their underlying causes. This reference to my thesis gives me an appropriate opening to lay before my readers the difficulty I have encountered in my attempts to set down in a sufficiently clear and direct way 
the results of my experiences in unfamiliar fields. This difficulty lies in the fact that an adequate description of these experiences, for purposes of practical application, calls for new and more comprehensive words than we have at our command. It is obvious that the most appropriate word or words chosen in order to convey an idea will prove inadequate to express the aggregate after an element that is new has been added to the idea. In such a case, we are forced either to use a word or words which is inadequate, or to coin one in an attempt to express adequately the expanded idea. Expanding ideas are the forerunners of human advancement. The conveyance of the knowledge concerned with expanding ideas, whether by the written or spoken word, calls urgently for the recognition of the fact that expanding ideas demand new words which will adequately express the original as well as the new thought or thoughts involved. This book is really the second volume of Man's Supreme Inheritance, and I have named it Constructive Conscious Control of the Individual. I am offering constructive arguments and a constructive plan, and the fact that I have indulged freely in destructive criticism does not affect this statement, for a consideration of the needs and aims of such a book reveals at once that this is a necessity. It will be found that my criticism is directed solely towards what I believe to be the impeding factors in our progress towards a constructive plan of life and education. The preparation of the subject matter of this book has proved a very difficult task in which I have needed considerable assistance, and I take this opportunity to express my gratitude to Professor John Dewey for the invaluable suggestions he made after reading the manuscript, to my assistants Miss Ethel Webb and Miss Irene Tasker for their valuable help in and their untiring devotion to the work of revising and preparing the subject matter for publication, to Dr. Peter MacDonald and to the Reverend W. G. Pennyman for assisting me by reading the manuscript and offering criticism, to Miss Mary Alcott for undertaking the responsibility connected with the correction of the proofs, and to Miss Edith Lawson and Miss Carla Atkinson for their help in connection with proofs and typescripts. To each and all of these I owe a deep debt of gratitude. F. Matthias Alexander, 16 Ashley Place, Westminster, London End of section 1